TRP is a theologically progressive Baptist church in Salisbury, Maryland. This is our podcast. All right, Tessa, we're back in the booth here. Week one of Job. Here's the fun thing about that, though. We're not really going to talk that much about Job. We're not. No. I want to sort of zoom out a bit and think about more meta questions. Okay. You know? Sure. I got one for you. Okay. What is the Bible? Tessa, go. What? (laughs) (laughs) It's a book of wisdom. Oh, that's a very Pete Enns type of answer. You have been trained well by your... What would we call him? You're the Padawan. Mm. He's the Jedi Master. Mm, okay. I guess is what we would have to say about sure. that. What does that mean, though? Can you, can you, here, here's a, here's a saying that people say that always makes me say, ooh, in response. Like, can you flesh that out? Ooh. <laughs> it's the word flesh. It's not nice. Can you put meat on them bones? No, it's not, still not great. Um, I mean, I think I think about it. In contrast to it being a rule book. Nice. And so it takes wisdom to read the Bible. Look at you. This is making me very proud. (laughs) Why? I don't know, because you're like regurgitating things that we've been talking about for years and years and years. Yeah. Also that, I mean, I would, I would put myself in the padawan category mm-hmm. of one pete ends as well i don't mm. know if he would claim me mm. necessarily but that man screwed up my entire being mm. uh, Fun. somebody was saying the other day about trp uh we were thinking about what would happen if trp ceased to exist oh. and she said i don't i don't know what i would do i've been ruined Mm-hmm. You know, by like the way that we have these conversational sermons and we're thinking about things that are um, controversial and different. There's a lot of newness that comes along with TRP. Mm-hmm. Beautiful newness. Mm-hmm. It's hard to replicate that and find that in other different places. I mean, yeah. But this this is like at least part of my trajectory is my education in seminary with Pete and a handful of other really gifted professors has ruined the way that i look at the bible in the most wonderful of ways right and for me it used to be oh the bible is absolutely a rule book a guidebook a map uh it's got the answers i remember doing dumb stuff where it was like i had a question about you know like where am i going to go to college or who am i going to marry or should i take this job and it was almost like you open up the bible to find the answer mm-hmm. that's not but that's not what the bible no is no so it takes wisdom to understand and unpack what the bible's teachings are this also makes me lose it sometimes when you see like on facebook or elsewhere when people say yeah but is that biblical you know what i mean like right. or or like we preach the bible right yeah okay like like what what ver like right and i don't mean version in the sense of esv or niv i mean somebody's reading it and imposing their own interpretation on it right there's no such thing as just reading the bible which i think some people don't recognize yes absolutely i think after maybe after some of this 
you know, because I'm sure those people are listening to this podcast. <laughs> and maybe after this little introduction to Job as wisdom literature, they might at least raise an eyebrow at some of the past uh, leanings that they've had with regard to this. Mm -hmm. So for many Christians, there is that expectation that if we read the Bible well, it provides us with answers to life's biggest questions. And that does range from the, the personal stuff that I was talking about, jobs, money, relationships, you know, all those sorts of very personal things, but it also goes to theological issues, mm -hmm. right? Like how was the world created? Oh, well, if you want to know how the world was created, Tessa, what do you do? You read the Bible. You read the Bible yeah. and, and you don't have to get very far into it, right? Mm -hmm. Genesis one, it tells right you right there at the beginning, right there. So what, what are we doing now? If I told you to go look at, uh, you know, Psalm 74 mm -hmm. and about like the, the myth of, of Yahweh defeating Levi the many-headed Leviathan mm -hmm. as an act of creation, you might think, hmm, right. that's a different story of how right. God is creating. But there's like these theological issues that we think we can solve as well. How the world was created. What did Jesus's death do? Tessa, can you, can you answer that for us real quick? That's not a quick answer. Thank you so much. <laughs> yes. that's And that's kind of the point. Even when we think about the gospel, like at the very core of the gospel message, as people understand it, the death of Jesus is told in different ways throughout the New Testament. I, I'm getting ready to teach this class on atonement theories, more or less. And there's so many different atonement theories that arise out of the Bible because the Bible uses different metaphors and images and models to try to explain something that I would say cannot really be explained. Mm -hmm. You know, like this idea of Jesus's death as a sacrifice. Mm -hmm. How does that mean for us in the 21st century? What do you mean? If I say, oh, Jesus offered himself as a sacrifice yeah it sort of assumes that we know something about the sacrificial system right which i would say we don't we do not yeah right so it's like this dead metaphor almost and it demands that we kind of enter into a world that is very very foreign to try to understand what the image how the image is being used back then. I mean, I think usually it's talked about without even talking about the sacrificial system. Oh, yes. Even in even in the New Testament, which is so bizarre. Mm. Uh, like, so in the book of Hebrews is some of the most pronounced teaching about Jesus's death as sacrifice. Um, but Fleming Rutledge would say the author of Hebrews is not attempting to explain sacrifice from an old testament perspective it, it's doing something completely different because it's it's because it's a metaphor though yeah you know what i mean like it's, yeah. it's saying the way that we talk today about certain things metaphorically we get it because we understand the image mm -hmm. but now we're two thousand years removed 3500 years removed if you want to go back to old testament times and and we're trying to figure out how to think about Jesus as a sacrifice when we don't know Jack about the sacrificial system and we don't understand the metaphors. It's like, it's like me saying, Oh, here's a joke and you don't think it's funny. And then I have to explain to you why it's funny. 
mm. which is, which the is worst. not funny. It's the antithesis of it being funny. But that's what we're kind of forced to do when we look at the Bible. That's an ancient book using ancient metaphors that don't really make sense for us today because where we are, things have just shifted so dramatically. Yet, would you say it's like putting new wine in old wineskins? I wanted to bust out into the Hillsong <laughs> new wine chorus. Oh, gosh. But yeah, um, I definitely think that when we depend, I'm specifically just talking about Jesus' death here. Mm-hmm. When we depend upon old, even old biblical metaphors, mm-hmm. we have to do so much work to make those make sense mm-hmm. that I think a lot of times we have no idea what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. For example, how often have you heard somebody talk about Jesus' death as sacrifice? A lot. A lot. And in the songs that we sing, how often do they talk about like the blood of Jesus being meaningful in some sort of way? Like there's an appeal to a yeah. sacrificial system. Yeah. It's, okay. So in Hebrews, sorry, I'm, I'm going off here for a bit, but it's <laughs> it's okay. In Hebrews, it has a line about without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. That ain't right. From from an Old Testament standpoint, that's actually mm-hmm. not true. Okay. Yes, because <laughs> in the Old Testament, you say you've got a psalm like Psalm 51, which historically is set as a prayer of confession that David offers after his sexual assault of Bathsheba mm-hmm. and after he has been confronted by Nathan the prophet who says, dude, that was not yours to take and you took it. Remember the whole story about like the poor person with the little lamb and then this rich person takes the the Mm -hmm. one little lamb that the poor person has. That's the story that Nathan tells to get David to say, oh man, yeah, I did a bad thing here. Mm -hmm. Which, well, you can talk about David's character all day long if you want, but the fact that the man needed a parable to understand that what he did was jacked up is, is an issue in and of itself. We've gone off about this a few times in our Psalms series. These are later editorial notes where somebody removed from the situation saying, oh, hey, I know a good intersection here. Think about this prayer of confession in Psalm 51 and David's sin with Bathsheba. That's a cool linking of ideas. Mm-hmm. Read it through that the lens of that story. It's not meant to be historical. right? But what we have in this prayer of confession is not David saying, oh, I sinned, I know what I need to do. I need to go shed some blood on a sacrificial altar or else I cannot be forgiven. Right. He says, forgive me. Right, he pleads, or the psalmist pleads for the mercy of God to forgive and it's not dependent upon the sacrificial system. In fact, there's this little bit at the end where it says, you don't even want sacrifice, which also is not meant to be read literally. But the psalmist seems to acknowledge that there's more happening here. Hmm. Even in the Levitical system, sacrificial system, where you've got the first seven chapters in Leviticus, that it, it specifies how and when and where sacrifices are to be offered. My doctoral supervisor... John Goldengay would say none of those sacrifices have to do with quote real sin. Woo! Woo! Cause some of them are about like 
you sin by accident, you, uh, you're unclean. It's about like cleanliness and uh, rehabilitation within the community. You give offerings like cereal offerings, which are meant to be like expressions of thanks to God. Like all of these different sacrifices in the most prodigious set of Old Testament texts that deals with sacrifice. But it's, it's not saying what Hebrews is saying. Hebrews is saying, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And Leviticus says, well, wait a second. There's some more things that are that are going on here. Or, check this one out. This one's even cooler, I think. I've talked about this one a lot, too. In the Old Testament, for the, for the majority of time, in like those earlier texts, so within the Old Testament, you know, you've got a large span of time and there's certain images that dominate at certain points. In the in the earlier stages, the way that they thought about forgiveness was sin is a weight and forgiveness is someone else carrying that weight. Mm-hmm. It later becomes sin as debt and forgiveness as debt repayment. Right. But in the beginning... It talks about sin as weight and forgiveness as someone carrying the weight. Now, here's the bad news. In the English Bible, when it says that God carries the weight in Hebrew, the English translators interpret that accurately, but they interpret it as God forgives sins. Hmm. The metaphor gets buried. Yeah. Right? So we don't understand that the way that they were thinking about this is when we sin, we accrue weight that we wear that we have to give to someone else in order for forgiveness to take place. So like there's this one text in Exodus chapter 34 where God is is revealing God's self. It's that classic text, um, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God who is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in love. That That one. Uh, forgiving to the however many generations. Uh, actually, I think it says forgiving iniquity and sin and something else. But that term there, forgiving, mm-hmm. in the Hebrew, guess what it is? Carrying? Yeah. Okay. It says God is carrying all that. Now talk about that image real quick. If someone is taking a burden from you and carrying it for you, that sort of metaphor or image is very different than you have a note where you owe a million dollars and somebody pays it for you, right? Um, yes, I think so because I think in the first way it feels more like they're involved and not in a relationship. Oh, I love that you, word, but I love that word. Yeah. So the way that, uh, again, Golden Gay would talk about this is that story of Eric Clapton and George Harrison, right? I'm going to need more information. Okay. <laughs> so Eric Clapton writes the famous song, Layla, about George Harrison's girlfriend, girlfriend slash wife. I forget if they were married or not. But basically, Clapton falls in love with this Layla character who's mm-hmm. tied in relationship with George Harrison. Oh. Clapton and Harrison remained friends mm-hmm. because 
George Harrison takes the weight and carries it for the sake of sustained relationship. Hmm. Right? Yeah. That is different than Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. There, it's mm-hmm. almost like even that second line, all to him I owe, there's this guilt yeah it's, it's like this uh, um this terrible still a debt yeah there. i I'm, I'm i know that you've taken it but i still feel like whatever you know like in those situations where you owe somebody some money and they say you know don't worry about it mm-hmm. you still feel like oh but yeah i owe you something mm-hmm. whereas you know with this eric clapton george harrison it's just the image is so different mm-hmm. but we tend to think about things in in certain ways all all that to say and i i Admittedly, I I got going off there. When you think about what Jesus's death does on the cross, there's different images and metaphors. One of them that I like to use is is this whole God carrying sin, right? So if you picture Jesus on the cross saying, and he didn't, but like just picture it, saying, whatever you give to me, whatever weight you have, Mm -hmm. I will carry Mm -hmm. because I love you. And I want this relationship to be sustained. That's a way different image than yes. I owe you money or there's an angry dad in the sky who's going to kill his kid because he needs blood in order for it to be forgiven. Mm-hmm. Those are really different images, right? You've got all these different different things that are happening in the Bible. And you could just say, well, what does the Bible say about what Jesus' death did? Lots of different things. It, it also makes, because the whole thing about Jesus being the ultimate mm-hmm. sacrifice mm-hmm. was that then they didn't need to sacrifice. Yeah, sacrificial system goes yeah, away. right. See, I would even say he's sacrificed. Oh, this, is, this one's going to get me in trouble. You ready? Yeah. He was sacrificed. Yes. Because of the metaphor that exists based on the sacrificial system. Right. If Jesus was here now, I don't think that we would come up with the same sort of debt repayment, carrying weight of sin, um, even like reconciliation type thing. Like these are all embedded metaphors way back when. Mm-hmm. So when when author of Hebrews is talking about the Levitical sacri- sacrificial system, it makes sense to the people that he's talking to. So the image is rooted in that moment. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if we can transcend that moment to talk about it in even more different ways. Right. Which is sort of what I think I was getting at. Absolutely. It's like even. (laughs) Absolutely. It was. I don't want to lump you into my heresy, but yes, I, I, it's a difference between the old Levitical law. And something like truly new. Like and, it's a completely different And I forget if you said thing. this in this version of the podcast or different, <laughs> but like new wine into yeah, old wineskins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Like, and that's the point. What Jesus does is so radically transformative that it destroys any old right. carrier. right. What we have in the Bible are old carriers rooted in that moment. Mm-hmm. I might even go so far as to say, like, I don't, I don't think that those images might, they might not even be the best way to describe what happened. 
because we're so far removed from that time and what they're attempting to say. The best way to describe them now. Yeah. Yeah. But they were used then because God wanted to speak to people in a way that they... That made sense. Yeah. Yes. And we, we sometimes discount that. Now, I can't go on to say like, oh, and here are some inspired yeah. image. That That's the problem is because you look back at this New Testament that's set within an ancient context and you want to advance it a bit. Mm-hmm. But then people really start going nuts because who am I? Right. Right. To, ad- to advance that. I do know that as people are trying to unpack what happened, they're unpacking it in ways that now that are more germane to our specific moment. So some people would talk about like the, the nonviolence of the atonement, mm-hmm. which resonates with us now in a way that would not have back then. Nobody cared about nonviolence. Right. You know, but we do now so we can see Jesus's death in a different sort of way. Or even for me, like we've all been, I say we all in a very general way, too general, but we've been scarred by penal substitutionary atonement, which Mm -hmm. says God's mad at you. And the only thing that God could have done is to kill his own kid because you're so gross. Yeah. And it's only by grace that you have any worth because Jesus was good and Jesus took on something that he didn't deserve for Mm -hmm. you, subtext you gross person who angry dad doesn't love. Right. Now that's a lot of reading in, uh-huh. but that's a caricature that I think, you know, hits hits a good number, especially like the deconstructed crowd. Mm-hmm. They hate penal substitutionary atonement because mm-hmm. it makes God look petulant and angry and it makes us look like we are worth nothing. Yeah. So for me, if I'm given like an altar call spiel, which... I probably wouldn't do, but when I'm talking about Jesus, I like the image of Clapton and Harrison. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because then it's like Jesus saying, there's no mad dad in the sky. This right. is me loving you mm-hmm. to the logical extreme of where we're going. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got this weight. I'm taking it. Yeah. Because, because there's nothing that will impact this relationship. That's beautiful. And I think that we have some examples of that in our lives where people are committed to us in a tenacious sort of way regardless of what we do maybe for some of you that's a parent or maybe for some of you that's a partner or maybe for some of you that's a friend who will not leave you no matter how how ridiculous you are Mm -hmm. and i think that 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 might sell a bit more because we don't have all of the bordering on child abuse type imagery Mm -hmm. same thing with with if you go to like christus victor which is a different image of the atonement that puts Jesus as the one who is going to war against evil, right? And his death wins that war somehow. That's a diff- that's a totally different image that's in the Bible that I think sells different to different people now that's not God is mad at you and God had to murder his son, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And th- those are those are harsh words, and I'm solely doing that for the for hyperbole. You know what I mean? All this goes back to we think that when we approach the Bible, if we read it right, we can settle these theological issues, mm-hmm. which is silly, mm-hmm. especially when there's so much diversity in how these things are being talked about. Whether it's the creation text in Genesis one or the creation text in Genesis 2, which which I would argue is a different 
creation text, or it's the creation text in Psalm 74, or the creation text in Job, and how some of Job talks about uh, creation and unpacks that. Like, there's all sorts of different texts, and they're all saying different things based on different metaphors, because the Bible is a diverse collection of texts that were written at different times by different people in different styles for different purposes, and different theologies are emerging from these things, and we are not probably set up to say, oh, but I know the right one uh-huh. because I'm an enlightened reader. Get out of here. <laughs> Get out of here. That's not the point. Right. The point instead, Tessa, is to take us back to the Bible as... Wisdom. Yes. <laughs> and it takes wisdom to... Read wisdom. <laughs> to interpret and to read wisdom. Yes, yeah. absolutely. The Bible doesn't have a uniform voice on many different things things and that's especially the case when you're reading an an actual wisdom book like as a genre Mm -hmm. in the old testament you've got a handful of books that would fall into the wisdom category do you know what they are no i do not well proverbs yeah proverbs and also the one that we're reading right now job and job (laughs) yeah and some people would put ecclesiastes in that mix uh some some people slash all people they would those are the three and that then makes there's sense. there's a handful of wisdom psalms. Just can we go off script here just for a second? I suppose. So that I can address something. Sure. Okay. You ever heard that adage um oh Solomon wrote Song of Solomon in his youth when he was a a horny pervert. <laughs> I don't know if I've <laughs> heard, heard it just like that, but <laughs> heard that adage. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He was excited and just really just in love and wanted to have sex. So he wrote Song of Solomon. And then he got older and he got wiser and he wrote Proverbs. And then he got even older and jaded and he wrote Ecclesiastes. Have you heard this? No. Okay. Each of these books sort of um, postures as a book written by Solomon. Mm -hmm. But I'm here to tell you, Tessa. They weren't written by Solomon. They were absolutely not written by Solomon, yeah. Uh, so Song of Songs is is probably better viewed as a collection of Egyptian-inspired love poetry. Mm. Yes. Lovely. Yes. There's a, there's a big, like a universal scope to it where some of the things that are being said here, which, let's be clear, are pretty much just about sex hmm. in pretty... Uh, raunchy terms. <laughs> Boy, yes. If I'm not mistaken, I think there was there was some rules about when people could read Song of Songs. Oh, and it was pretty old. It was that text, and then there's a couple texts in Ezekiel. What do you mean when? Like in certain times? I mean, like no, like, or you, like had, you had to be 18. Oh wow, it was behind the curtain. In yeah, the, so like you might in the video store. You might yes, right. You would walk in and and see your 12 year old with the the scrolls. Be like, what are you doing? Are you reading Song of Songs again? <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, too much. Yeah. Um, Ecclesiastes is a ready for a fancy term? Sure. Pseudepigraphical. Bless you. Yes. It's pseudonymous, meaning it wants you to think 
that Solomon is the one who writes this because mm-hmm. in the in the beginning chapter it talks about like I am the son of the king mm-hmm. and like you're thinking oh that's Solomon mm-hmm. but the language and the story and uh, the story is a, a strong word but there, there's a lot in the text that would lead us to think eh, probably not Solomon yeah Proverbs I don't have a whole lot to say on that other than a lot of people contributed to Proverbs and it's very general right it's not yeah especially once you get into like the the fortune cookie type wisdom mm-hmm. which we have to tell this story right tessa was over the other day and we were eating, <laughs> we were eating chinese food and she was leaving um and it was dark outside and i i said something that to her made it sound like i said i'll walk you to your car he said i'll I'll walk out because you were going to lock the door. Yeah. So lock and walk, I think, got us got us confused. So yeah. I was going to walk her to the garage. Yeah, he said, I'll lock, lock you out. Lock yeah. the garage from inside. Yeah. And then when she gets to the car, I had given her a fortune cookie. <laughs> and when she gets to the car, what would the fortune say? It said, be cautious while walking in darkness there alone. There you go. There you <laughs> go. Like, oh, my gosh. Yeah, that was, it was like. It's uh, too much. Very appropriate for the moment. But never fear. Tessa made it. I did across my so driveway far. and from her parking place into into her home. Yep. So that was good. But yeah, like that, that that fortune cookie type wisdom in chapters ten through thirty one, it's very general. It's it's universal. Uh, there's overlap between what we find there and what we would find elsewhere in other cultures, wisdom books. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to say like, oh, well, this one's from. Well, it sort of makes sense that that one specifically would be a bunch of different contributors. Yeah. Just because it's a wide array of... Yeah, I I agree. Now, you could say that chapters one through nine are probably put together by a single hand. That doesn't mean that they're necessarily writing all of the stuff. Mm-hmm. But it's more of a, um, hey, dads, teach your, teach your young sons not to follow prostitutes. Which seems like a good piece of wisdom, <laughs> generally speaking. Yeah, I th- yeah probably. It, I mean, it's it's it sets it in the context of this is a book that's meant to teach young men because in the context that's who was learning sort of these sorts of things. Because the women already knew how to act. Absolutely, <laughs> um, because they would be the ones who would function in the court settings uh, or like in the kingly settings. So it's it's a certain class of people who are learning this information and not following the prostitute woman, but following lady wisdom. Mm. Lady wisdom is calling out. The, also kind of sounds like yeah, a stripper name. Welcome to the stage. <laughs> lady wisdom. <clears throat> okay. So uh, in, in Job, we've got some stuff here. And even in Job, there's, you know, we talked about the Bible not being uniform. There's some stuff that sort of, clashes if you look at the book as a whole but i want to again move beyond that to say in order for us to understand what job is about we have to have a wise interpretation that's the point it this book is not meant to give you the answer whatever we're thinking about so some people approach it as job gives us the answer about how to exist as a righteous person in the midst of suffering Mm-hmm. Do what Job did. Right. Which usually leads to, 
when your entire family dies, you should say things like, naked from the womb I came and naked shall I return. Mm -hmm. But the voice of the Lord, the name of the Lord shall be praised. Mm. You know, so it, it almost like it enforces upon someone. If you're going to take that literally and apply it, it's like in the midst of your biggest grief ever. Mm -hmm. Chin up, dude. Right. You know, just gut it out because God wants you to be an emotionless heap in the midst of your suffering. Mm -hmm. Which is not, I mean, as you see, when, when you get past that narrative frame in, verse, in chapters one and two of Job, and then it launches into this philosophical, theological, poetic stuff. Job sort of ditches that idea. So at first he's like, yeah, my whole family's dead. I'm okay. God's got this. Mm -hmm. And then a couple chapters later, he's like, oh, actually, I wish I was dead. Mm -hmm. I wish I had never been born. In fact, I wish I had never even been conceived. Which is really taking it back yeah. to the beginning. Yep. So in order for us to understand Job, we've got to apply wisdom to understand what's happening because it's not just a literal interpretation, do this, be that. S similarly, if we're thinking about Job, the book of Job, as what we should expect from God, I think we're going to be set up to go down different roads. Like, So in the beginning of the book, Job is touted as like this really righteous, really blameless, shunning evil, fearing God. Like he is the noteworthy example of wisdom par excellence. And then we move from the earth scene to a heavenly scene where God is in conversation with the Satan. Mm -hmm. This is important. Not Satan, but the Satan, right. an, an adversary, uh, a, a negative type person a contrarian yes who says yeah job's fine but he's probably as he is because you haven't done anything to him mm -hmm. so the two of these figures like they have this bet more or less it's like she's all that and god is freddie prince jr mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. the satan is paul walker mm -hmm. right yeah and job is what's her name i don't remember okay we can let that metaphor go. <laughs> um but God and the Satan are having this sort of argument and God's like, okay, let's do it. Do you think there was a Bet. makeover montage? Yeah. <laughs> Gosh, I hope so. Me too. That would have been great. Yeah. But yeah, they, they have this, this bet. And if you're thinking like, okay, so whenever anything bad happens to me, that's probably why. Because yeah. God and the Satan are up there in the sky betting on how I'm going to handle this. Mm -hmm. Does that sound like a good way to approach it? Yeah, I think so. And by that, you mean, no, that's stupid, right? No, it's terrible. We shouldn't think that that's something that's actually happening. Right. Because that idea is sort of preposterous. I think I got lost in my head about okay. the okay. Um, makeover <laughs> montage and wasn't really listening. <laughs> you, were, you were still thinking about Job in like, the mall <laughs> scene coming out of I, Express. And be like, truly, hey, hey, I hey. was like, man, I love those this button up. <laughs> tries on a silly outfit let's, like let's reverse no, it no, what no. i'm saying is we probably wouldn't be led to think of our tragedies as being incurred because of a divine bet with the satan right okay that's better i would hope you said that, that and i was thinking be. like oh where are we going with <laughs> this what's happening how far off am i 
Whoops. Nope. She nope. Was just, I was she just, just in my head. Mall, at the yep. mall doing a montage. Sure was. Okay, but um, with wisdom, you kind of have to think larger than than that sort of literal play it out. I think part of it is like if you know things about the character of God, you would hope that that is not the case. Yes, but we've got this story, right? Yeah. So let's let's play the role of the more conservative person who says, well, what am I supposed to do with this, with this story? Yeah. Because it depicts God mm-hmm. in a pretty unflattering light, yeah. I would say. Like when in, in the, uh, toward the end of chapter one, when the Satan is like, yeah, but Job's not good because he's disinterested. Job is good because of all the stuff that he gets. Like he's filthy rich. He's got a lot of great kids. He's got a good family. He's like the best person in all of the East, it mm-hmm. says. Like he's he's known, he's popular, he's got image, status, whatever. Whenever Job posts on Instagram, he gets lots of likes. So many. People are just following him. So the Satan says, let's challenge that. And without missing a beat, God says, sure. Which seems problematic. I don't love that. No. You know what, though? But, I mean, this is the way that people talk about suffering. It's a test. Yeah, they do. Something bad has happened, and you need to learn something about yourself. Like, uh, like there's a bunch of quippy things that we say about... uh, suffering or you know like if he brought you to it he'll bring you through stuff like that yeah he won't give you more than you can handle yeah what are some others Uh, there's there's purpose in your pain oh yeah yep a lot of those sorts of things that are almost saying we explain suffering and tragedy in a job-like way Mm -hmm. where god is involved and even i'm not saying that people go here uh like you know intentionally but unintentionally or inadvertently, God is setting those situations up mm-hmm. for you. Right. Which is insane to think about. Yes. Cancer, miscarriage, um, death of a loved one, the pandemic, all of these sorts of things. If our theology takes us to, yeah, God's doing that to learn, you know, to teach us something. It's like in a video game where there's certain levels. You have to get past this. <laughs> Your face was just like, "Where is this going?" No, no, no. It, I, I was, I was, my eye was burning, so I was touching it. But I'm just, I'm imagining in my head like a map, and there's certain obstacles on that map That's good. that are already set up. Yeah, and you have to get past the so, obstacles. So my kids are playing um, Zelda. Oh, no, what's that game? It's the fighting game on Nintendo. I don't know things. It's the one that Luke Engel likes to play. Super Smash Brothers. Oh, uh huh. And like when they're playing, I I don't know what version it is, but they're not playing people online. They go and they have to face certain people. And when they beat them, they move past them. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you you could map it out. Like in my life, any sort of thing that I've had, God placed that there. So that I could become the person that I am now. Yeah. And, and this is different than God squeezing good out of the pain, mm-hmm. right? God making lemonade out of the lemons that yeah. God did not give to you. This is God gives you a sack full of lemons and mm-hmm. says, squeeze them. Mm-hmm. That's, that's crazy to me. Mm-hmm. And again, like flashback. But think about this too. Like tie it with the atonement. If your version of God is such that God is the mad dad in the sky who who killed Jesus 
because somebody had to die. Right? And why wouldn't he you hand you a sack full of lemons? A, a few years ago, there was this video. It was probably five or six years ago now. And it was it was a really well done video. I don't. I have a couple of organizations that I think it's tied with, but I don't want to throw them under the bus, um, so I, I won't say that. But the video is called "Falling Plates." Do you remember this? Yes. And it was like very. I know the organization it was tied to. Very. Oh, what was it? I'm pretty sure it was a crew. I think it was too. Yeah. I I, I produced. Video. I didn't want to just throw one out there willy nilly. Oh, I see. Yeah. Okay. Um, I have no problem throwing people under the bus okay, if great. their name is attached to it. <laughs> cool. But I just didn't remember. Mm-hmm. Anyway, like it's this whole thing about, um, you know, like the images, and it's so beautiful. Yeah, like, it's a beautiful it's a well video, done video. But it's like your computer is un unplugged, and then like your battery life is going down and down and down. Or like it's got this image of a glass of water, and then there's somebody puts food coloring in it, it becomes all black and gross or mm-hmm. whatever. Or this flower that becomes wilty. All of these things. Uh, there's a there's a person on a high dive and like she kind of falls off and it's just like flailing before she hits the water mm-hmm. and the, the video is called falling plates because they're also dropping plates off of the roof of a building yeah and they're crashing on the ground yeah but then they suck all of those things backwards mm-hmm. so the broken plates become whole again mm-hmm. and the flat the wilty flower becomes full again and the computer that is on empty becomes full again, mm-hmm. and the person falling off of the high dive be- goes back up to the top where she doesn't hit the hit the whatever the water in a in a hard way. But right at the key moment when everything has been destroyed, the the narrator of the video says, "Quote: Someone had to die." Mm-hmm. Jeez, what? Like what? Like that's that's a version of the gospel. That is very closely tied to God. God's so God's mad, mm-hmm. and you did this. You know, it's like it's the parent that says, "I'm disappointed in you." Mm-hmm. That's gutting. Yeah, and to hear like your eternal Creator, who loves you unconditionally, say, "Somebody had to die." Because of you. Right. That's a lot. That is a lot. But this, like, it flies in the face of what we know about God from, from other texts. Like, go back to the divine self-revelation in, in Nexus 34. It's a God that's forgiving. I thought you said Nexus. I was like, what the heck is that? No. Exodus. Exodus. Got it. <coughs> Exodus. I got it now. I got it. He's a God that's forgiving to the thousandth generation. It does go on to say that God will punish, but he's only punishing to the third or fourth generation. So it's almost like there's this seesaw of God's love and God's wrath, and the love just completely upends the wrath. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's like if we know anything about God, God is loving. Now, mm-hmm. I don't want to I don't want to create the picture like mamby-pamby, do whatever you want, God doesn't care. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is we've turned God into a crazy a crazy person yeah, who demands sacrifice and bloodshed and will not hesitate to put stuff in your life to make sure that you become the person that you're meant to be. Right. Jeez, dude. That's a, that's a lot. It's an intense version of God. It's, I, and I think it's a, it's a wrong version of God too, yeah. if I could be so bold. Now, you know, clearly what we're talking about here is wisdom and applying wisdom trying to understand what is contained within our sacred text 
So this is me saying the best that I have to offer is something antithetical to that. Mm-hmm. Is it right? I have no idea. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I, yeah. ha- I have to sort of end there where it's like, I, I'm not sure. Now here's, here's how this plays out when you're reading wisdom literature. Um, Proverbs is a great place to go because, you know, it's quintessential wisdom, but you'll soon learn that you don't get what you want when you think of the Bible as roadmap, rule book, give me the right answers sort of things. So here's a text. It's very well known. Uh, Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way that he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Yep. Got it. Right? Easy. All right. So all the parents. This is raising kids made simple. Yeah. And and, and we can just, let's just go ahead and apply it because Proverbs says, you know, train up a child in the way that he should go. Yep. Got it. At what age does that child get a cell phone? Never. Yeah. Well, yes. <laughs> Conventional wisdom would say keep it from them as, as long as you could. Yeah. But it's different with each kid, right? They didn't know about cell phones. Yeah, they, they absolutely did not, which is another reason why this is difficult to utilize in our setting. Yeah. Because there's so so much that's happening. Yeah. But for some kids, like I think about my own sons, they're very different. Mm-hmm. And maybe one could handle a cell phone at a certain age, whereas the other one could not. Mm-hmm. We usually cater to the oh, but this one's going to be sad that they don't get what this one has. So we just kind of homogenize the whole thing. Like, oh, y'all get the same stuff at the same time. It's like my mom for Christmas will have an exact dollar and cents amount that she has spent. And if she doesn't match it, she will give you change. What? She has wrapped up quarters in order for my gifts to match my sister's gifts to to make them equal wild isn't that crazy (laughs) yeah gosh i love my mom she is insane (laughs) in the best way yeah um she hasn't done that in a while but you know we kind of think that but if i'm just looking at looking at the the evidence maybe abe could handle a phone at 13 and jude 16 Mm -hmm. i have no idea we had to be 16 see i mean get ours there, there's so many things that go along with it. Or, you know, one of the big things now is at what age should my kids be watching PG-13 movies, if at all? Mm-hmm. You know, they're eight and five. Yeah. So that's up to me. Yeah. And I know I've got some friends who let their kids watch all kinds of stuff that I would struggle with, but their kids are different than mine mm-hmm. and their parenting dynamic is different than mine. Their household is different than mine. Mm-hmm. So it's impossible for me to say, oh, you can't do that because there's this overarching generalized rule about training a child in the way that he should go. And I happen to know the way that he should go right. and what that training looks like. Right. Really, Proverbs is not helping us much as parents here with this sort of information no i think it's sort of just saying like you have to like you do what what you feel is best for your kids yes do your best (laughs) which i mean just (laughs) as a parent i'm like can i get a little more can i can i get yeah can can i just ask maybe two pointed questions and you tell me what the answer is because i'm struggling Mm -hmm. and you know in a different translation train children in the right way okay cool what is that? That's worse. It's it's much more general. Yeah. Yes. 
because we don't know what the way they should go. We might have outcomes. You know, I want my kids to be successful, mm -hmm. articulate, uh, kind, mm -hmm. you know, very concerned about justice and contributors to society. I don't want them to be hermits locked in a room. I want them to be, you know, it'd be great if they were kind of extroverted and personable. They're mm -hmm. going to get that from their mom, not from me. <laughs> you know, like I want all of that for them. I've got mm -hmm. end game. How do I get them there? No freaking clue. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's just, it's impossible. Um, so Pete ends writes this about what's happening here. What do I do? That's all I want to know. Reading the book of Proverbs on child rearing is like paying good money for financial advice and being told after 10 sessions, here's what I've come up with. Invest your money wisely and you'll be set up for retirement. Right. Like, well, no kidding. But what 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 stocks am I looking at? What, you know, should I get an IRA? What, you know, there's more pointed, specific questions that we have, not just, oh, if you do a nice job, your kid will be okay. Mm-hmm. It's just not... It's not helpful. No, zero percent helpful. So we can even think about this further, you know, with regard to finances, which people love talking about finances. Mm. You know, Dave Ramsey's made millions of dollars talking about finances. Yeah. Churches love talking about getting folks out of debt, which is great. Yeah. I don't know what sort of biblical principles they utilize for this, because if you're just thinking about Proverbs there's texts that say very different things mm -hmm. at different times. So for example, in Proverbs 10, 15, it says the wealth of the rich is their fortress. The poverty of the poor is their ruin. So if we just had to... It's pretty clear, I think. <laughs> I mean, if we just had to say like, is wealth a good thing? Is it good to have a fortress? Don't mm -hmm. think about like home ownership and all of the... All of the problems, like, oh, I got to paint uh, yes. that, paint that generally, fence and make sure the moat is, you know, nice and... Generally helpful to have a fortress. And like it says, the poverty of the poor is their ruin. Mm -hmm. So poverty would be a good thing or a bad thing? Bad. Yeah, because you don't want to be in ruin. Right. So this one is sort of saying money, wealth, security, those are all good. But the, you know, the rich can't inherit the... The kingdom. The kingdom. Yeah. So says Jesus. So then you add that into the mix and you've uh -huh. got all, or, or the stuff in James, which is railing against people with money. So you've got all these different things that are happening in the Bible that would call into question this piece of wisdom, which we might like. Yeah. If I'm rich, this is, this is my life verse. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm going after this because I want to have a strong city uh -huh. and I do not want to be in ruin like the poor people. Right. But then you keep reading in Proverbs and you get another text that says the wealth of the rich is their strong city. Yeah. Still pretty good. Yeah. In their imagination, it's like a high wall. Mm. Oh, less so good. it's a it's a false sense of security. Yeah. So which text is right? Yes. Yes. That's a very Rob Bell answer. Yes. Thank you. Both and. Yep. It depends on the situation, right? Yeah. That's not helpful. No. Not at all. No. Because you're, as the reader, you're having to make sense of this. My favorite example, we've said this a million times, and if anybody's ever heard me talk, you know where I'm heading. 
but you've got these two verses in Proverbs that are right next to each other. One is, um, answer fools according to their folly, or they will be wise in their own eyes. Mm -hmm. I call this the Facebook verse Mm -hmm. because so many times you're reading the ridiculousness on Facebook and you think in a moment of holy indignation, mm-hmm. I must be the mouthpiece. Yes. I must answer this foolish person mm-hmm. so that they do not believe themselves to be wise. Right. Where has that ever gotten us? Nowhere. Not usually anywhere good. It just makes right. us look like an idiot. Yes. But then there's a verse that precedes it that says, don't answer fools according to their folly, or you'll be a fool yourself. That could also be the Facebook verse. Right. I was talking with a friend of mine the other day, and she she saw this post, and it was just like, really? Gosh, I don't even know. It was it was like attacking a, a, a trans kid. Mm-hmm. And she did not know this person, but she felt impelled to comment on Facebook to stand up for this young woman in the midst of, you know, the, I wouldn't call it an onslaught, but there was at least one person that was saying some really insensitive, transphobic comments. Yeah. And she was like, I have to say something. And she asked me, should I? I'm like, I have no idea. Yeah. Like, do you know this person? Do you know, I mean, would it, would it make a difference? Would it be helpful? Maybe instead of commenting on this thread you could make your own post and just say like hey i've been seeing things and this pains my heart as a mom like can we do better you know what i mean like so address it yes how i don't know i don't know what would be helpful is it just you want to say these things because you feel this guilt that you need to and if you don't then you'll be less than i don't there was a lot of stuff happening there but i don't know the internet makes things trickier because i think if it were an in-person conversation or or someone that you knew personally yeah then the answer is pretty easy yeah answer yeah if you knew them personally then you can just have a maybe even a sidebar conversation yes or or if you knew the kid personally you could have a sidebar conversation and say hey i've seen some things and it's heartbreaking i want you to know that you're not alone yeah you could do any number of things that wouldn't necessarily be Oh, I'm going to comment on this Facebook post. Right. Because that is not... It's not generally the, the thing you want to do. Not generally speaking, no. The point in all of this is it's very difficult to know how to navigate the wisdom of the Bible because it takes wisdom to read and apply wisdom. Right. Reading the Bible, it's not always easy. It's not always straightforward. It's not exactly a source book for answers. I think that's a little bit understated. It demands your attention, your engagement, and it demands wisdom. And it's the same thing when we think about Job. That's that's the setup. I don't want us to think about Job as, oh, we go here for answers and for application about what it looks like for us in any given situation. Right. We go here for confusion and conversation and i would say i forget how i phrased it um in that sermon but it's like there's like a beauty to the confusion you know there's there's like a wonderment to it like it's it's a it's a good provocative yeah yeah, the people going yeah it gets the people going as josh revel would say yeah it helps us to have big questions and big thoughts about who god is 
what God is doing and how we respond to suffering. But as I've said before, this can be an example. Mm-hmm. I'm not convinced that it is the only example. Right. If we're going to take one thing from the book of Job, it's, yeah, have your say. God can take it. If you want to say, I wish I was dead, go for it. Yeah. God can handle that. Right. Um, I, I Hopefully that I'm certainly not wanting people to, to be there, but in the pits of your despair. No, but like it's all welcome. Yeah. It's, it's uh, as Richard Rohr says, everything belongs. You can't threaten God. No. I, I would encourage us to move beyond the God did this to me. Yes. Because I don't think that's a fair application, even though it is very prevalent within the American church. That's how we've talked about things. Mm-hmm. We've, we've jobed it where it's, oh, we done jobed it. <laughs> it's a, it's, it's a wager. You're in the midst of a test. You're I, thought, th- I thought you were telling me I was in the midst of a no. test for a second. No, no. Although you never know. Now I would say that, um, it's important for us to think about Job in this light. And, I, man, I, I would wonder even if we could extend that to the entire Bible and say, thinking about this collection as a wisdom text that demands wisdom to interpret and to apply the wisdom within the book will lead us with a lot of uh, safe edges where we can explore, mm-hmm. you know? So I don't know what kind of stuff we're bringing to the to the text or to the story as we're, you know, navigating Job and all this intense uh, theological poetry in the middle of the book or this narrative structure, but I do hope that we're able to see it as what it is, which is wisdom literature, which demands wisdom to interpret and apply and to even think about the Bible in, in those sorts of ways where it's not necessarily quite as cut and dried as we have been led to believe it is. It's not even close. Not even I close. I don't think. <laughs> nope. I don't think so either. Well, there you go. We Answers are difficult. Yep. Be blessed. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Peace, love, <laughs> and equality.